so glad you guys are awake and aware. Uh, we're going we're gonna to finish out our captive series uh, by talking to a few ladies and partners of our church that have some really good uh, things to share. They did such a good job in our 9 o'clock service, uh, and I'm excited about um, you guys hearing uh, from them as well. So, But we want to greet them. So this is, uh, so this is uh, Julie Gallegos, and she is, I'm not going to, she like said, hey, I should tell you her age. I'm not going to do that. You can do that later. Um, so uh, just like, that's just a trap. That's just a trap. Uh, so uh, anyway, so this is Julie. Uh, Julie uh, is a military spouse from Michigan, and, uh, and she has a two-year-old daughter who's a cutie, and she'll run around here after the service, I'm sure. Uh, and then this is, oh, so everybody say, hey, Julie. Very good. Okay. Hey, this is Liz. Everybody say, hey, Liz. Uh, all right, Liz is a uh, also a veteran, so she served, and also she's a military spouse and uh, has three kids, and uh, and she works for Berkeley. Uh, she's a partner here, but also works for uh, Berkeley Medical uh, Berkeley Mental Health. There we go. So she's a professional counselor, uh, really wise and all this stuff. And and so these ladies here, they're uh, part of the same missional community, and they are they've been huddling together for quite some time. And so if you don't know what that means, our missional communities are small groups that meet throughout the week on mission together, uh, but then we also have these things called huddles, which are two or three uh, folks gathering together, uh, reading scripture together, praying together, walking through life, asking good questions, how's your marriage, how's your, how's your life, how's your walk with Jesus, uh, and so they've been walking together through that uh, for quite some time, uh, and so they, they, um, they're very close, and so I wanted them to share kind of a little bit of their story, mostly Julie's story, and then we're going to ask uh, Liz a bunch of uh, mental health type questions, So, uh, but I'm excited for you guys to hear uh, from from them. So we're going to start with Julie's story. She's going to share uh, just what God has brought her through. And uh, I can take it away. Wait, wait, hang on. Whoa. Uh, hey, hey, that's you with your hair. That's my fault. Okay. Hello. There we go. Okay. All right. We are on. Solid. I was raised in a home where neither one of my parents had Jesus in their lives, and we never went to church. Despite that, I had a great childhood and was a very happy child. I always thought I had a great life and family. However, I grew up not knowing really how to cope with my emotions, and my parents weren't able to help me due to their own struggles with anxiety and depression. Anytime I struggled with anxious thoughts or fears, I was made to feel like I was a burden or that I was being dramatic. I don't think it was their intention to do that, and they truly did their best with my brother and I but I definitely developed behavioral patterns that would lead me down a difficult path into adulthood. With having no foundational truths, no positive hope, or something stable to put my faith in, I had no choice but to invest all that made up my life into friends, hobbies, school, relationships, and my family. The problem with that is, is what happens when one or all of them fail you? What do you have left? I found myself at my lowest point in my life when I began working a high-stress, full-time job right out of high school. I was separated from all of my friends who went off to college. My parents also got divorced after nearly 20 years together, and our family became divided when I moved out with my mom and left my little brother behind with my dad. This created a massive void inside of me. It was also difficult for my brother and I to walk through that because it was a very ugly divorce where we were thrown into the middle of a lot of my parents' problems. 
That same year, I got put on unemployment, and things became very toxic with the relationship that I was in with my boyfriend. That relationship started off really wonderful, but quickly turned sour due to my life falling apart. I was quickly consumed by depression, thoughts of suicide, and wanting to die. Everything I had placed purpose in and identity in was crumbling all around me. Out of advice from my dad and finding out for the first time that our family had a history of depression and that he was on antidepressants for the last 20 years, he encouraged me to go see a psychologist. After one session with her, I was put on antidepressants. I took them for a few months, and unfortunately in my case, they actually made me worse. I became extremely depressed, very reactive and moody, and just felt worthless. I ended up overdosing on them out of desperation to try and justify that my boyfriend loved me and was not going to leave me for somebody else. I ended up being hospitalized, treated, and put on suicide watch once I was discharged from the hospital. My boyfriend never came and visited me in the hospital due to his mom forbidding him to see me. Life became even more complicated than it was before because now there was an even, an even deeper void in my relationship with my boyfriend, which at the time meant everything to me. I decided to stop the antidepressants after that bad experience and just due to not liking the way that they made me feel. I continued to move forward the best I could and the best I knew how. After struggling for five years to make my relationship work, my boyfriend and I ended up breaking up and I jumped right into another relationship that also ended badly. I was dealing with family drama, unhealthy friendships, and continually making poor decisions that unfortunately got me into a really bad situation that would lead me to my breaking point. Being in my early 20s at this point, my anxiety was at an all-time high. My relationship with my parents was non-existent and extremely shallow. They were dealing with their own problems, so I didn't really want to present them with mine. I even avoided talking to my dad for an entire year. I was having regular panic attacks and was getting physically ill from being so anxious. I was in college and would suffer from panic attacks during class and while I was working. It was debilitating. Right. So I've asked her to kind of stop there for just a second, but it takes just a lot of courage uh, to tell 100 people that at one time. And so can you guys just encourage her for just a second and just thank her for that? Um, Thank you for sharing that. And, and here's my question that I'm going to ask Liz. So how common or abnormal or normal is, is this? Like how, like when you walk through your everyday walking, working with folks like Julie in the grand scope of Charleston, how, where are we at? So it's actually quite normal. Um, the thing with mental illnesses such as anxiety and depression is they, they stem from different circumstances. Could stem from divorce, loss of a loved one, physical ailments, um, life transitions. They can stem from um, trauma, abuse experienced. Um, and if you have family history of anxiety or depression, you're more likely to, to feel this, experience it in your life. Women are actually twice as likely 
to experience anxiety and or depression. Mm. I say and or because 50% of people with depression also have anxiety. Mm. Um, you know, for so long, the, our society has created the stigma about seeking therapy, mental health treatment. Um, you hear suck it up, buttercup, um, hand over your man card, you know, uh, feelings are for wimps, stuff mm. like that. Sad because uh, depression is uh, the main reason why every 12 minutes someone dies from suicide. Depression is the most, I mean, it's the highest mental illness in the United States, sadly. Um, there's, there's things that people sit there and, and uh, with minority groups, ethnic groups, they this stigma even more so with them about seeking mental health treatment, but you don't have to suffer in silence. Um, when a patient walks in my office, what I do is I talk to them, I find out their interests, I find out what, you know, their family history, their mental health history, I find out um, their strengths. Mm, that's good. That's good. So um, let's, let's hear the end of the story, if we could. So like, what, what did God do in your life kind of? Yeah, so at this point I was at rock bottom, and I recognized that things needed to change. And there was a glimmer of hope that entered my life when I was 23. Over the next few months, <laughs> over the next few months, a friend of mine from high school and I reconnected, and he ended up sharing the gospel with me, and why people believed in Jesus, followed Jesus, and loved Jesus. And that was just so profound to me. I had never heard it in that way, and I clung to it. It was exactly what I needed to hear right at that time in my life. God met me where I was at. Um, I began going to church and gave my life to Christ a couple months later. Over the next year, I was baptized, discovered an amazing community of friends, and transformed my life into one as a follower of Christ. I also met my husband during that time. The gospel provided me with the truth and answers that my heart was always seeking. The comfort from my worries and my fears that nothing else had. A firm foundation that will never change, never be taken away from me, and will always be there for me. What I believe put me on the path to healing my anxiety was, number one, knowing the gospel and uh, accepting Jesus into my heart. The Holy Spirit working in my life and having God provide so much hope and rest for weary hearts. Number two, being a part of a community of believers to walk through life with, having Bible studies, huddles, um, group events to go to, uh, ministries, uh, people helping keep you accountable through life, um, and people to walk through life with you, having that is essential. This reduces isolation helps keep you accountable, and gives you community and friendship that you really, truly need. And number three, reading your Bible and praying to God, presenting all that you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and being transparent with God, laying your troubles at his feet, and asking and believing that he can heal you. It is a natural thing to shut down and turn inwardly and just give up. And you don't want to run to God in those dark moments, but you truly, truly need to. 
I've been doing these things for going on eight years. I am 31. <laughs> like a moment of truth for everybody. Since Charlie didn't <laughs> want to like, say that. <laughs> like, I was like, wow. Really Sometimes come back. Um, so I've been doing these things for going on eight years, and I am truly a different person. I have not suffered from depression or an anxiety attack since before I was saved. Through being a military spouse, having a premature baby unexpectedly, becoming a first-time mom with no family around to help, and restarting life every time we move, I've definitely been placed in very anxiety-prone situations, and I still have my moments of anxious thoughts or worries, but I now know how to cope with them and what to do to avoid being consumed by them. I will say I did experience a time after moving here last year where being a stay-at-home mom, brand new to the area, not knowing anybody, feeling so isolated and lonely, um, that was the perfect platform to slip back into that, you know, that dark area in life and to let depression consume me. Um, but I was able to recognize it, and um, I was able to take the steps needed um, with leaning into God in those moments. Um, I avoided falling back into that by asking God for help and really pressing into him. It's been a process of rewiring the way that I handle things and praying for God's help with whatever I face. Also recognizing what thoughts of mine come from God and what thoughts are attempts from the enemy to break me down. I always filter every thought through God's word and am now able to discern what is from him and what is not. With having a depression and anxiety-prone past, it is crucial that the enemy get no foothold of me because that is the way he will try and destroy me. My ultimate goal has been not letting my circumstances define me, but to trust and let the hope of Jesus be an unshakable foundation that nothing can break. Your world can be falling apart around you, but you have the hope of Christ holding you up and knowing he will never fail you. That's good. I love that, that part of, of the, the, the rewiring or re, you know, of, your, of your head, of your brain, and thinking through, these are the lies that were, I was believing, and these are the things that, that, that are God's truth, and to, like, and to choose those things versus the lies that, that I've constantly believed. I love that. Thank you. For that, so so Liz, if, if Julie walked into your office now and said, "Hey, I just need, you know, uh, like, what would you do with somebody like her?" and walking forward um, in, in in your practice. So my job is to sit with the patient and find out what motivates them, find out their strengths. Um, when and in finding out their strengths, I find tools that they can use. And whenever I say tools, I mean like coping skills, techniques, psychoeducational material, because I believe that the more you know about your illness, the more you are empowered to do something. Um, there is no one way to do this. There is no one size fits all whenever it comes to depression or anxiety. Um, and if a patient has a solid foundation, that can make all the difference in the world. Uh, once a patient has packed their toolbox and, and and leaves and departs, sometimes they come back. Sometimes they, they, they have enough tools, but whenever they come back, they need a refresh or they need to learn new skills. And sometimes uh, we have patients that we send to medical doctors that provide medication because sometimes therapy and medication work together for that person. Um, this is normal, it's normal. Um, I 
heard someone once reference that in the Garden of Eden, Satan whispered doubt in Eve's ear. Anyone wrestle with doubt? Mm-hmm. I've been blessed. I've been blessed to have patients who are believers and to share faith. In addition to those patients, their coping skills are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe that in spiritual warfare, I believe that there is an enemy who will do what he can to kill, steal, and destroy. He will whisper those lies to you. I've seen lives destroyed with his lies and whispers, but I've also seen lives healed. Whenever they stop looking inward and start looking upward, when they lean into God's word, I've seen the power of building your house on the rock. And I've seen just how scripture, not just reading it, but living it can make a difference. Awesome. Now, so there, there may be someone out here listening to this and listening to Julie's story and thinking that could never be me. Like, I, you know, I appreciate her story. I appreciate what God did for her. Um, but like, you know, I, I just don't like, I'm just permanently like this. Like I'm always going to struggle with anxiety. I'm always going to struggle with depression. It's just, I'm just, that's just the way that I am. And there's nothing that's going to help that. Um, and I'll be that way till the day I die. Is it, is, what would you say to somebody like that? Like, is there, is there, is there any like hope for a cure or like, are we talking about like, is it just management? So like Julie was saying, how having to retrain your brain, that's what we do. We retrain your brain. I mean, you could sit there and say that there's no scientific cure for depression, but once you retrain your brain, once you have the coping skills, once you have whatever the therapy is that works for you, because everyone is, it's, it's unique to everyone, then, you know, you can learn how to cope with it. You can learn, just like as Julie says, you know, where to put that, uh, Yeah, just on that, um, I think it really comes down to, like, what you do with that, those thoughts. Like, you can have a, a victim mindset and a, and a, you know, falling into those lies of, of the enemy. Or you can have a, a victory mindset where you can say, I, I will win this battle through God. And um, these are lies. This is not what God says. This is not what God wants me to think. He doesn't want me to stay here. He wants to pull me out and rescue me from this. And um, God is the ultimate healer, and he can truly heal what is going on in your life. That's a good word. That's a good word. Will you guys thank these ladies uh, for, for speaking? Thank you, ladies. I'm going to pray for them, and, and we're going we're to continue on reading some scripture. God, thank you uh, for a chance now to dive into your word. Uh, but we are very grateful for these voices, thankful for these ladies, um, for Julie's story. Uh, for her life that has uh, walked from a deep and dark valley. And, and now, God, that you have redeemed her and you've walked with her. Uh, and, God, that you have saved her. And now that she uh, is made well so that she can help other people for live and the practice that she has day in and day out, uh, working uh, at Berkeley Mental Health and grateful for all the patients that she has. Um, and, and, you know, whether they're believers or whether they're not, that she is a, uh, she's a believer and she's sharing truths that she knows out of the scripture so that, so that minds could be made well all over our county. Uh, so grateful for her and I pray that you'd strengthen her. Uh, God, we love you. Thank you again for allowing us to hear uh, from these two ladies. And I pray that you bless them and bless us as we continue uh, to listen to your word. Amen.
Thank you all. I appreciate you guys. All right, just turn to your scripture, uh, fa- uh, famous, famous scripture passage, Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23. So go ahead and grab your Bible. If you need to turn on your Bible, that is fine too. Uh, and uh, so on, in the Holy, uh, Holy, Holy Bible app or the YouVersion app, I think my notes there uh, will be in the, in the events section. So uh, just thinking through this, before we read uh, Psalm chapter 20, uh, 23, which is just a famous text, many of you will know it, uh, I just want to tell you, it's, it's kind of interesting in Scripture, we'll see some stories that have some repetition but also have some difference in them. Uh, so if you, if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 8, and John chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, but there's, there's stories of Jesus, the Son of God, who brought the kingdom wherever he went, and the kingdom means that he was able to bring healing wherever he went, and so he would encounter blind people. And there's numerous stories in the scripture about how Jesus would heal blind people. In Matthew chapter 9, he heals two blind men just by touching them. He just simply touches them, I'm not sure on the head or the shoulders, he just simply touches them, and they're immediately healed. Now, in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 8, there's a man from Bethsaida. Jesus spits on him. Now, that's very interesting. He takes some spit. I'm not sure how that went down. Uh, but he, like, he takes some spit and rubs it on the guy's eyes, and then he's healed. So the first two guys, Jesus just said, simply touch. And then the second guy, he gets spat on by Jesus, and he's healed. Now, there's another story in John chapter 9, a completely different man. Jesus spits on the ground, creates a little bit of mud with the dirt in his spit, then takes the mud, rubs it on the guy's eyes, and then goes says, and, and says, go to the pool and go wash off, and then you will be made well. And that he does that, and because he, he get, regains his sight. Now, three different stories. There was just simply a touching, then there was a spitting, then there was a spit with mud and a pool. Like, there's a lot going on there. Several different stories, all healing men who are blind. Now, imagine, if you will, this isn't in the scripture, but imagine if there was some kind of conference of blind people, right? And you have three keynote speakers. And they show up, and it's the first blind guy. And he says, you know what? All that you need to do to, to regain your sight is just have Jesus touch you. That's all you have to do. But then the second keynote speaker gets up and says, wait a minute. No, no, no. He has to spit on you to make it happen. Then the third guy gets up and says, no, 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 he has to spit on the ground, make some mud, rub it on your eyes, and then you have to go to a pool, and then you will be healed. And then ensues an argument between the blood that used to be blind guys. There is not one way that Jesus heals, even in simple things like healing blind or simple things like that. That's not not very simple. But anyway, I've never done that. Hopefully, maybe you have. Uh, You'd be a millionaire. Okay, so... um, Do you see what I'm saying? The idea that there's not just one way that Jesus will heal. But all of us want to know, how does this happen? Is it possible that God can heal me of my anxiety, of my panic, of my depression? Is it possible? And if it's possible, I want to know how. How does it happen? And so we're going to look at Psalm chapter 23 to see if it will provide us uh, some answers. So uh, if you're in Psalm chapter 23, say, I'm there. Awesome. Very good. Okay, here you go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Very famous. Most of you guys might have heard that before. The Lord is my shepherd. And there's a lot going on in this text. But So I want to ask the question, how does God heal? Now I'm going to answer that at the end, okay? But I want, I want to go a little bit before that and answer a couple other questions, okay? Because I think this text is going to provide us the answer. Now, why does God heal? Not just how, but why. Why does God heal? This is awesome. Right here in verse 3, he says this He restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? And he's going to tell us why. For his name's sake. God heals for his own glory. The purpose behind the shepherd leading and restoring his people is for the glory of God, that God might be magnified and illuminated and revealed to everyone. That's why God heals. Now, you might look, hear that and think, man, God seems really selfish. He seems a little arrogant. It's a little counterintuitive. Wait a minute. So God does something so that he might receive the glory? That's the reason why? For his own, for his own name's sake? It just seems to us, that doesn't seem very logical. It seems like if we're going to be healed, the focus should be on us. Healing is not for God. Healing is for us. Now, it's a lot bigger than we might think. And I'm not going to have a lot of time to, to really dive into this that much. But here's the deal. The best place for us to be is in God's presence, not anywhere else. Our best thoughts are God's thoughts. Our best actions are according to God's will, not ours. When God is lifted up and magnified, positive things happen. When, when, man, when man is lifted up and magnified, negative things happen. It's very simple. So when we think through healing, who should get the glory for healing? It should be God. Now, that, to make a little bit more sense of this, I wanted to share with you that if I wanted to make my marriage better, like if I wanted to that my, my marriage to grow a little healthier, now, normally we would think, oh, let's go get a book, and it's going to tell me how to make my marriage better. And that book is going to say, you need to focus in on your wife a little bit more. You need to focus in on your husband a little bit more. And you need to make them your prime focus, and then your marriage will get a little better. But biblically, that's not correct at all. Biblically, what God calls us to do is to focus on Him, to have a selfish relationship between me and Him. And because God is receiving the focus and God is center in my life and that God, God receives all the glory for Charlie Swain, then as a byproduct, my marriage will get better. I will say things that God would say. I will do things that God would do. And so, therefore, my marriage then will follow suit. And as a byproduct of my glorification of God and God receiving the glory for my life, my marriage will then get better. The same thing is true as it, re as it regards to anxiety and depression. As we think through, I want to be healed of my anxiety and depression. The more that we focus on God, healing will come as a byproduct of that. So why does God do what he does? Why does God heal? 
because it's the only thing that makes sense, that God heals to receive glory. Now, where does God heal? Where does God heal? This is important. God heals in the valley. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He is talking about being in the valley. Where are the green pastures? The green pastures are in the valley. Where are the still waters? The still waters are in the lowest place. The valley is dark. The mountaintop is light. God can, and I want you guys to get this, because we think sometimes that in order to be healed by God, we have to be on a mountaintop experience. In order to be healed by God, we have to you know, pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, get ourselves together, make sure that we're not a sinner, all these things, and then, and then God will heal us. If we can just simply fix everything in our life, then will God will come along and then heal us. But that's not the message here. The message here is God is going to meet you in the deepest and darkest place. And so we don't have to get it all together before God will meet us. We don't have to have all of our stuff together. So God is very unafraid to walk with us in the valley. And this is very different than our health and wealth preachers. And they'll say things, they'll say motivational things that say you just need to have faith in yourself. And if you have enough faith in yourself, you can do it. And you'll become healthy and wealthy and wise if you just if you just pick yourself up, smile a little bit more, say encouraging things to yourself, self-care Sundays, whatever you want to do. If you just do that enough, then God will bless you. That is not the message of Psalm 23. Where does God heal? He heals in the valley, in your deepest and darkest place. Next question is, when does God heal? So we know why God heals. He heals for his own glory. Where God heals, God heals in the valley. When does God heal? God heals all the days of our life. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here's the message of that verse, that God can heal now. God can and will and has done, and he can heal right now. He can also will heal later. So it's now and later. If that gives you, mess- if that gives you images of candy, I'm sorry. I know it's Halloween, okay? Now and later. This, this idea, surely goodness and mercy, these character traits of who God is, follows me all the days of my life, which is now. And then he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, meaning eternity. After we leave this life and enter into glory, into heaven, then we will have complete healing. So he's offering healing now, and he's also healing, also offering healing later. There was an old man, really old man in a church I served at one time years ago. And he was the nicest old man, just really kind of, he's one of those cute, happy old men. And, uh, and you guys know them, they're really cool. And, uh, and he was a World War II vet. Uh, and he would go around, and he named himself Iron Man. And the reason why he named himself Iron Man is because he had so much, so much different metal inside of his body. He had, he had been near an explosive in, in a battle, so he had shrapnel that was lodged inside of his body. He had a metal plate from a war wound that he had in his head. He had a pacemaker in his heart to make his heart tick. He had a fake knee, a fake hip. He had a metal hip, a metal knee, and he had multiple screws all in his body just to make him walk around. I mean, this guy was a walking RoboCop. 
And so he named himself Iron Man because of this. Now, he was kind of frustrated because he was a believer and he was looking forward to going to heaven and being with Jesus. And he said, I will lose the name Iron Man because all of that stuff will not be necessary. God will completely heal my whole body and I will spend eternity with Jesus completely whole. He knew that there were temporary measures to allow him to live and live well all the days of his life. And that God had used medicine and all sorts of different things to help him heal now. But he also had a hope for the future of complete healing later. And so some of us are going to walk through this life with pacemakers on our hearts. Some of us are going to walk through this life with shrapnel from bombs that went off a long time ago. Some of us are going to walk through with screws that are holding together joints that broke a long time ago. And I don't know what those are for you, but God is willing and ready to heal you now and also completely heal you later. And that's the hope that we have as believers. So the question becomes is how? How does God heal? That is the million dollar question. I want to know, if I do this, then God will heal me. That's what I want to know. And the answer is in the most important part of this entire psalm. It's staring us right in the face the entire time. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are what? With me. That you are with me. If you really want to know God's answer to anxiety, depression... It is himself. It is his presence. That he doesn't promise in this psalm to bring us out of the valley. He just simply promises to be with us in the valley. That is what we actually need. A lot of us want to be brought out of the valley. But God is saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to enter into your brokenness. I'm going to be with you during it all. And all of us think, I just, well, I just want God to heal me. I just want, just God, if you could just heal me, I'll be good to go. And you don't need to mess with me anymore. I can go about my life. And you, all you need to do is heal me, and I'll be good. If I could just get rid of these panic thoughts, then I can move on and go. If I can just get rid of this depression, I can move on and go. That's all I need from you, God. Just leave me, leave me, to, like, leave me to my own devices when you heal me. And God is saying, you don't want, you don't want to be healed because you don't want me. And there's a lot of us that need to think about focusing more on the healer than just the healing. And oftentimes we just want the stuff and not him. But this entire psalm is about him. It's about God. Let's read it again together. You can follow along on the screen if you want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You get to look at all these things. He does this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Look at that book. He's doing all the work. He's doing all the work. Even though I walk in the, the, uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These things that shepherds use as protection, he's protecting you with them. 
You prepare a table before me. You're going to provide for me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely the goodness and mercy, the characteristics of God, shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is about God. And His goodness is the healer. And here's the deal. We believe, at Cain, we believe right here that God can and will heal you of anxiety and depression. That life does not always have to be broken. I, heard, I hope that you heard that from these ladies. That it is not a permanence. That you can, you can get to a place of complete healing. That God can and will heal you. I love Julie's testimony of saying, listen, as I've trusted in God and believed His truths and said no to the lies, that I haven't had panic attacks, that I haven't been depressed. Did you hear that? That's not an uncommon story. I hope that you hear that it's possible that you can come out of this with the presence of Christ with you. Now, God's going to use a litany of different things in healthy portions that are and can, that can and will help you. Now, Scripture, prayer, heavy, heavy helpings of that, right? Counseling. I love that Liz said it shouldn't have a stigma about it. We should, we should point people, we should point ourselves towards getting the help that we need from professional counselors, mentors, pastors, all those things, and submitting ourselves to counseling. It is not a bad thing. I hope that you'll see that as something that we would definitely encourage you to do. Exercise, medical evaluation, serving other people, having other people that you're accountable to. And then medication. Is medication a part of this? You need to see a medical doctor to talk about this. And see what, see what it might be an option for you. There is no one-size-fits-all strategy to this. But there is one consistent truth that God does and He wants and desires to heal you. So please do not leave this room thinking, I will always be this way. I will always struggle with this. There is no help for me. It's always going to be the same. I'm just going to manage it. Please know that it, there, it is possible for you to be completely healed. And Jesus did this. The reason why Jesus came and why he came to be a man and to be with us, we're going to celebrate Christmas here in a little while, and I want every time that you hear the name Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. That he has come to restore us, to heal us, to give us eternal life for his own glory. It's a great, it's a great, great thing. But God also made us responsible. All of that is true, and He's divine and He's sovereign, but He's also given us a responsibility to make a choice, to receive. We open up our hands and we receive. And so there's a choice on our part to stand back, cross our arms, and say, I'm always going to be this way, and nothing's ever going to change. I don't need anybody's help because I will just manage this anxiety, depression, and I'm going to sit back. No one needs to help me. God can't help me. All of these things. And we can stand back and say, no. My hope would be is that you would come open-handed and receive the gift of God, knowing that, knowing that there is a church around you that wants to help you. And it might be a mixture of different things, but we want to help you. So I want you to see this verse in James chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you depressed? 
Is anyone among you anxious? Is anyone among you have panic attacks? Is anyone of you just blue and frustrated and stubborn? Is, 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 like, is there anyone among you who's going through postpartum depression? Is there anyone among you who's, who's lost a job? Is there anyone among you who has been divorced and you're really hurt and broken? Is anyone among you been abused and you're really hurting and broken and struggling through life? Is there anyone among you who is sick? Here's the responsibility part. Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. See the responsibility part? There is a part in Scripture where James is asking us, listen, if you've got some brokenness in your life, if you've got some kind of physical abnormality or disorder or anything like that, that God wants you to take the responsibility to say, I need you to pray over me. And so I don't know where you might be on the continuum. It might be just that you have some really dark days, might have a panic attack. You might, you might just be blue every once in a while and it's just kind of frustrating for you. You might just be a really anxious and worrisome person. Or you might have some kind of disorder and a mental illness, as Liz said. Anywhere you are on that continuum, we want to pray for you. We want to specifically lay, your hand, lay our hands on your shoulders and speak to the God of the universe and speak to the healer on your behalf. And I just think that this is a first step. I don't think it's a magic bullet. I don't think it's the only thing that you need, but it is a first step for you. So we're going to pray in just a minute. And what I want you to do is I just want you to open your hands. Literally, I'm going to ask you to open your hands up on your lap. You don't have to raise them up or anything like that. And I just want you to ask you, I need you to pray and ask God, God, do I need to move forward and go and ask one of our pastors or one of our leaders or missional community leaders to pray for me? And if that's the case, I want you to come forward. So in a minute, I'm going to stand you up. And what I want you to think about is we're actually going to have a time of response. It's a little longer time of response where we're going to worship together and the band's going to come up and lead us in some worship. And we're going to just, our pastors and missional communities are going to be guys and ladies up here at the front of the stage, a couple in the back as well. And we're going to stand right up here. Um, and I would love to pray for you and with you. Uh, and it's just a time of response. And uh, I want you to come, have no fear, have some courage. And we just want to pray over you. Okay. I'm excited. God, thank you for a chance now um, to love you uh, through responding and, and a lot of times in worship, um, we just we just sit and we listen and we wait. God, I'm asking uh, for the courage now uh, to um, to step forward, to take some action. Congregation, if you would stand for me, do me a favor with your with your eyes with your eyes closed and your head bowed. I'm just asking you if you put your palms up just like this. Just put your palms up just like this in a posture of surrender and prayer. I'm just going to give you a moment of silence just real quick where I just want to ask you, do I need to go forward and have somebody pray for me? Just ask that. right now 
in a time of response that you would move in the hearts of our church. God, there's, I know that there are tears on people's faces and they are asking the question, do I need to be prayed for? God, I pray that you give them the courage to say yes, to take that next step of boldness. Do you give them courage? We love you, Jesus. Amen. As we sing, we're going to sing for a few minutes. Come and join. we got ladies and guys up here that would love to pray for you.